So we've begun a series on faith, uh, unshakable faith. And in the final moments of worship there, there was some uh, great prayerful uh, thought uh, spoken out and such that we can be unshakable because our God is unshakable. So Pastor Jim launched this series last week. So this first thing we're looking at in the new year is to be a people of faith. And today we want to look at dealing with doubt. The best place to start when you think on the concept of doubt is to recognize that Jesus always distinguished between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is okay. Unbelief is not. Doubt is uncertainty. It is being in a place where at the moment you can't believe. It is not you won't believe. Unbelief is you won't believe. That's the distinction. So ultimately, doubt is honest and unbelief is simply obstinacy of heart, obstinacy of pushing back against truth. If you consider doubt, doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is absolutely content and embracing of darkness. And of course, Scripture and Christ himself uh, uh, attacked loving the darkness instead of the light. Amen? Amen? So this is the best place to start, recognizing that if you have a doubt, it's acceptable. It's not the best place to stay, that's for sure. You want to get out of doubt, but doubt can be addressed. Unbelief cannot be addressed. Amen? So if you look in Scripture, you have doubting Thomas. Thomas was intellectually questioning the resurrection. You have Thomas, you have Philip, you have Nicodemus. None of them were upbraided by Christ. None of them were beaten up verbally by Christ. They, they were in doubt. They were not in unbelief. And those who come to Christ with doubt, he will treat respectfully, generously, and tolerantly. Amen. Amen. In fact, if you read Scripture carefully, we are told in the New Testament that we should be praying for those around us that are in doubt. Amen. So, when Thomas who is known as Doubting Thomas, uh, denied the resurrection, and then a week later found himself in the presence of Christ. Obviously, he and everyone else would be waiting for the hammer to fall, for Jesus to scold him uh, uh, intent, intensively. That scolding never came. Christ presented proof. He removed Thomas's doubt. Amen. So, understand then that doubt does not necessarily limit the omnipotence of God. 
but unbelief will shut omnipotence out. Amen. Amen? Unbelief shuts you out of uh, the insulation that belief brings to your life. It, it, it shuts you out of the isolation that takes place when we are separate from Christ because of disbelief or unbelief and such. And so, as we study the concept of doubt in Scripture, we find Mark 6, verses 5 and 6, says he could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Are you listening? Jesus marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. There is unbelief just paralyzing the effect of the omnipotence of God because God will hold back in the face of unbelief. Amen? So, we see here Jesus marveled at their unbelief. In the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we find that it, it says clearly, and the power of God was present to heal them all. It was a bunch of Pharisees had gotten together, and the power of God was present to heal them all. But you read down just a couple of verses, and because of the hardness of heart in the Pharisees, nothing happened. Amen. Unbelief shuts the power of God out, period. And this is not the only time that Jesus marvels. Here he is marveling uh, about their unbelief. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, when Jesus heard it, this story he is told, he marveled and said to them that followed, verily or truthfully, I say unto you, I have not found such great faith. No, not in Israel. So, as you read Scripture, you realize there's only one thing that causes Jesus to marvel. It's whether faith is present or absent. Heaven only wonders about one thing. Where is faith? Amen. So, it becomes pretty clear as you read Scripture that issues of faith will always bring a strong response from Christ. Whether faith is present or absent makes, of course, the strong difference. So, I'm going to share with you three quotes from three great believers. We have all of us uh, other shoulders that we stand on, men of great faith who have brought the church forward through the centuries. Uh, the first one that I want to uh, quote is Charles Spurgeon, um, <clears throat> perhaps the greatest preacher that has ever lived. He said, every other crime touches God's territory. That is, every crime other than unbelief. Every other crime touches God's territory, but unbelief 
aims a blow at his divinity, impeaches his veracity, denies his goodness, blasphemes his attributes, maligns his character. Therefore, God, of all things, hates first and chiefly unbelief wherever it is. Whew. Amen. And a second quote, this is from C.S. Lewis, another father in the faith, a great theologian, uh, <clears throat> uh, one who, uh, while at Oxford, Lewis ran the Christian club, and the Christian club had a uh, regular meeting with the Atheists Club. And ultimately, uh, Lewis wrote a book called God in the Dock. The dock is the British, uh, we call it the uh, witness stand. The dock is that place in a British court where <clears throat> the witness had to give testimony and such. So God in the Dock essentially translates as to us Americans as God on trial. <clears throat> Anyway, uh, Lewis ran the Christian club, and every week the Christians and the uh, unbelievers, the atheists, had their club as well. And the two clubs would come together in debate. So the Christians would present one week, the following week the atheists would bring their rebuttal, the next week the Christians would bring their rebuttal, and it would go back and forth week uh, against week. Lewis said, now faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods, for moods will change whatever view your reason takes. So if you're following so far, basically, C.S. Lewis is saying, I think I have settled it all in my mind, but then sometimes my mind fights with me. Amen? He says, I know that by experience. Now that I am a Christian, he was a great atheist. He was an outstanding atheist, but he came to faith and then he became an apologist. And uh, apologetics is not people saying, I'm sorry. Apologetics means apologia, uh, uh, presenting an argument. It is those who present argument for the case of God, the case of Christ. Anyway, he says, now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. He's admitting, great Christian that he was, he is admitting that he has issues in his head, that his head will try to trick him from time to time, talk him out of a belief that he holds. He says, so, but when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. This rebellion of our moods against your real self is going to come anyway. That is, all honest people know that they don't live without any doubt whatsoever running through their head. It might be once every 10 years, but it do cometh. Amen? 
So anyway, that is why faith is such a necessary virtue unless you teach your moods where they get off. You can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. Amen. So here's a brilliant man saying, while I am a Christian apologist, I, I write books that change people's understandings. Still, I have my own date my own doubts that I need to push away and overcome. Amen. And still now a third one of another father in the faith, Martin Lloyd-Jones, another great preacher. He says, doubts are not incompatible with faith. That's startling. Did you hear it well? Doubts are not incompatible with faith. Some people seem to think that once you become a Christian, you should never be assailed by doubts. But that is not so. Peter still had faith as he panicked in the storm in Matthew 14. His faith was not gone, but because it was weak, doubt mastered him and overwhelmed him, and he was shaken. Doubts will attack us. That does not mean that we are to allow them to master us. Amen? So I'm hoping that these quotes, this understanding, is going to help all of us deal with life. Because when life, oh, that's another title that's coming up, when life throws you a curveball. So when, when those curveballs come, doubts come with them. Issues come with them, and we have inner arguments that go into play and what have you. So, understanding this, that doubt is acceptable, it's just not preferable. We don't want to stay in doubt, but we want to recognize that when doubt comes, we can press through. Amen? So, according to Scripture, what is doubt, in fact? So, our English word for doubt means to be uncertain, to be unsure, means to be skeptical about something, means to be questioning something, uh, something that it is unlikely, something that it is perhaps not worthy of my trust, that I would distrust such a thing. It is to not be sure, and it is to lack confidence in. So we never want to stay in doubt, but we can recognize that when doubt comes, it is more or less an attack on our belief. And we need to address the doubt and understand faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is to say, it isn't what I say, see that dictates what I believe. My beliefs are dictated by what God says, not by what my eyes see, not by what my ears 
hear. But when my ears hear and my eyes see, those things can contribute to mounting doubt. We need to get doubt out of our lives because doubt is an in-between place. In fact, I want to show you the vocabulary words in the New Testament for doubt. And hopefully, uh, after we see this, it helps all of us understand how we should be combating the doubts that may come. Okay? So, in the word doubt, it has six different Greek words in the New Testament. We're only looking at three of them because only three are directly connected to our personal faith. So, the first of them is the word dystasis or diastasis. So, <clears throat> it's a compound word. Di would be two, and stasis means to stand. So, diastasis would be a double stand or two standings <clears throat> at the same time. In Matthew 14, Peter was um, invited by Christ to step out of the boat and walk on the water. He actually did achieve that miraculous thing for a while, but then a careful examination of Scripture indicates that when he started to look more closely at the wind and waves than he was looking at Jesus. Somebody help me. He fell into doubt, not faith, and he was walking on faith. Jesus said, get out of the boat and walk over here. Get out of the boat and come to me. He was walking on Jesus' word for a bit, but then he saw the boisterous waves. He saw the strong wind. He considered those things. He became afraid. He started to sink. Jesus reached out and saved him, and Jesus said to him, it's like in your English text, why do you doubt? But now we're looking at this particular word. Jesus said to him, why, Peter, do you too stain? to stand, diastasis, two stands. We cannot have two stands and be in faith. Hello? What does that mean? Focus on Jesus and don't take your eyes off of him. Amen? Jesus said, come, Peter, and he was doing well while he was looking at Jesus. But then he changed his thinking pattern over to the storm that he saw, and the storm won out over his fear factor. He began to sink. Amen? So why, Jesus said, do you two stand? We all need to recognize we can have one stand successfully, not two. Come on. Amen. All right. So, Peter had a double stand uh, on one hand by faith. Uh, he was ignoring the wind, the waves, the circumstances. On the other hand, he was giving the wind, the waves, the circumstances 
credit. And <clears throat> what we need to do is every one of us learn to keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, not us. Amen. Amen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. All right. Second word for doubt that we want to look carefully at is <clears throat> meteorizo. It means, sounds like meteor. Um, it means to be in transition. It means to be in between. It means change of boundaries. <clears throat> um, the English expression that we would use in our modern vernacular would be, I'm up in the air, which means I'm neither here nor there. I don't even have two stands. I'm up in the air, caught in between two, two stands. So, obviously, God doesn't want us to be in suspense, doesn't want us to be unsettled in our minds about where our next meal is coming from. Amen. Jesus taught that really clearly. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Thank you. Can this side amen? amen. Oh, okay. Good. Okay. So those are two words for doubt. The third one is the one most frequently used all through Scripture, diacrino. It's most common, and it means dia through crino to, ja to judge. So diacrino means it, it speaks of a process and it is in that process diacrino that we scrutinize examine litigate discern discriminate deliberate through kind of thing. that is to say it's speaking of a process through which we go eliminating certain things and keeping other things so that we can arrive at a belief. Okay? And so, <clears throat> essentially, what we learn studying Scripture would be that to take a true stand in faith is important. I can't be standing in two places. Only one. Okay? So, I can't be caught up in the air, found on a fence kind of a thing. I have to go one way or the other. And so to make a true stand in faith means that I have settled the matter in my mind. There are no alternatives. My eyes might say differently. My ears might say differently. My feelings might say differently. But what does God say? Because what he says is what I want to, to press into, what I want to lean into. That is to say, I need to deal with disinformation and misinformation because that's what comes from the devil, from other people, and from my own carnal, unrenewed mind. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I, I say this without animosity, but <clears throat> the world has never, uh, never interrupted or caused my faith to falter. Amen. 
It's friendly Christians who have done that to me. Who have told me and my wife, you're out of your mind. You can't do that. You're pregnant again, you can't afford another child. It's like, cut me some massive slack. No, I mean, come on. It's like, we've heard it all. You're a school teacher, you can't live in this neighborhood. That from the nearest Christian to, to, to the house I had bought. I, like, are you crazy? It's like, anyway, I have not found, you know, the world to be a problem in my life, my belief. I have found the church to be a problem. So I forgive the church. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So, Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> can you imagine? I can't get past it. It's like, can you imagine a Christian visiting my house, knocking on my door to inform my wife and I that we were insane getting pregnant again? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Here's the issue. It's like, the matter is settled by what does God say, period. Beginning and end, pioneer and perfecter, author and finisher, it's that the matter is settled. There's nothing for me to scrutinize, nothing for me to deliberate about, nothing for me to discern. There is Jesus' words to Jairus, just believe. Amen. Amen. His servant had just come and said, don't trouble the master. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus heard that and looked at Jairus and said, only believe or just believe. That is, don't, don't buy into that. That's not the end of this story. Amen. So here's what Jesus, oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, passing time. All right, here's what Jesus taught <clears throat> about faith and doubt. Matthew 21, 21, so Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Mark eleven twenty three. for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. The uh, book of James adds to that thought, James 1, 6, but let him ask in faith with no Doubting, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You need to understand the literality of what James said. When he says you're a double-minded man, in Greek, that is die or two sukos, two souls. Sukos is also translated as life 
or James is saying, literally, you are a double-lifed man. You have a life of faith and a life of doubt operating simultaneously. You're neither one. You're in between. Hello? Amen? So what are we to do is follow in the steps of Abraham. We see this year in and year out at Grace and Peace, Romans chapter 4, Abraham, the father of our faith, who, contrary to hope, verse 18, Romans 4, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he, God, had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Amen. So I, I believe most of you have heard the testimonies uh, of our children being miraculously healed, Keith, uh, Kathleen, others. Uh, let me just throw in one more quickie. Uh, with Keith, it was a great miracle. With Kate, it was a great miracle. With Sean, it was a strange thing the way it started because my wife was at a doctor's appointment and uh, he took my wife into a room and shut the lights out. And then with a flashlight, he was examining Sean's head. He was, he was a newborn baby and he was examining his head. And my wife said to him, doctor, what are you doing? And he explained he was examining Sean's head because it was off the charts. It was too big. The, no baby should have a head this big. So he says to, her, to my wife, I'm looking for water on the brain uh, because the size of his head is too big. And my wife laughed and said to him, doctor, if he has a large head, it's simply because God gave him a great brain. A couple of years went by. I got Sean in the back seat of my car in a baby seat. I'm driving down Route 37, and I hear my three-year-old, who's never had a day of school in his life, say, T-O-Y-O-T-A, Toyota. He had begun reading because he's that bright. Please, listen to heaven. Listen to God. He knows the truth. Your doctor doesn't. Your banker doesn't. Come on, help me. Your lawyer doesn't. God knows the truth. Those other professionals, you know, they know facts. God deals in truth. Amen? So I close in Hebrews 12, 28. So let us be thankful because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have a king that cannot be shaken. He has a kingdom that cannot 
be shaken. Somebody help me here. The scripture ends, we should worship God in a way that pleases him with respect and fear. Father, we lift up our congregation, ourselves and those others in our congregation. We lift us up before you, Lord, calling for you to do a mighty work in every one of our households, to settle us and, and, and establish us in the truth, the truth of your word. Father, help us to arrive at that place in life and in Christian faith where we can lean back and say, I hear what you're saying, banker, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. I hear what you're saying, but I have heard almighty God and his word trumps yours. I'm going with him. In Jesus' name, church, be blessed. Amen.